all, what is neuroplasticity? So neuroplasticity is the brain's ability to change itself as a response to the environment. So the brain that you woke up with this morning is not the brain that you're going to go to bed with tonight because of the experiences that have occurred to you during the day. And those experiences can be either positive or negative. And so the brain will wire itself according to those experiences in regards to whether it sees as a positive experience. So for example, I've had a great day today, things have been going my way, work has been great, I haven't had any conflict. So the neuroplasticity, in other words, the neurons talking to each other and connecting each other is going to be firing off in a very positive way and you're going to feel good about yourself. But if you've had a day that's been a bit tricky and it has hasn't quite worked out the way that you wanted it to, there's some conflict there, then those do fire and connect, but it may, may release negative um, chemicals in your body that make you feel yucky. So it release more cortisol, it meets neurotransmitters like neuroendephrine and all these others that make you feel a bit yucky. So that's when the negative neuroplasticity kicks in. So what um, we can do is improve those um, applications during the day based on your experiences by improving your cognitive skills. So what does that mean? So Executive Brains, which is the business that I run, provides a neuroplasticity coaching service that aims at improving your brain health. So we're looking at the overall brain health, those neurons, those connections, by improving your cognitive skills, such as your memory, your attention, your brain speed, your auditory processing, and your visual processing. So there is abundance of research out there saying that if your cognitive skills are weak, they're going to affect the quality of your life. You're going to struggle to apply really good therapies, really good education, really good work experiences to your life to make it better. So for example, if you are struggling with your memory, then you won't be able to remember um, people's, you won't be able to remember a conversation. You might remember things like uh, Cheryl's, Cheryl is doing this and then forget the rest of the sentence. When that happens, your brain makes up what the rest of the sentence will be, whether that's true or not. So, for example, if I say, the red cat went down the street, then if you missed cat, then your brain will bring up, oh, she said red. What else do I remember about red? And what else would fit into the rest of the street? So it could be a car. So your brain would add in car instead of cat. And it will truly believe that that's actually what you heard when actually, in fact, you didn't. And so that creates a lot of frustrations in communicating with other people, as you can understand. So, um, yeah, so that is really about memory, but it also links into auditory processing. So the brain's ability to be able to listen, to interpret and to remember. And people who suffer from ADHD have a neurologically noisy brain. In other words, their brain is so noisy and what's going on in there, it is really, really difficult for them to listen to anything else that's going on around them. And unfortunately, we have um, classrooms that are extremely noisy. 
We have this idea that we, um, we have group work in classrooms, we have peer mentoring, we have some classrooms that have 60 kids in the classroom and two or three teachers. For some brains, they cannot neurologically do what us teachers want them to do because their brains are so noisy anyway. Add in the noise from outside, they just struggle. The same happens in the workplace. There's lots of workplaces now that have open plan workplaces. So you'd be sitting at a, maybe a table with three or four other people with your laptop doing work. And this happens in some really big corporate businesses. And it's very noisy still. Even though there's a quietness there, it's still very noisy. And that impacts the brain's ability to remember. Yeah, that's really important is attention. Attention really matters. If you can't patient to things, then you're going to struggle trying um, to do any tasks, whether that be schoolwork or um, um, computer or whatever you do in your workplace. So attention really matters. So your brain misses things if its attention is weak and if its brain speed is weak. So we have to have really good fast brains to be able to put our foot on the brake of a car to miss kids running out in the street or miss the ball coming out. Overseas in America, they have people who are over 60 required to do brain training in regards to checking their speed and memory and their attention skills before they're allowed to renew their license. Because as we get older, those particular skills become weaker and it has an impact on people's ability to drive. And I'm sure you've heard a lot of um, we've seen on TV only recently in the last six months of elderly drivers causing massive car accidents because their, their brain is just struggling trying to process the information around them. So auditory processing and visual processing is sort of like the consequence of those attention brain speeds and, and um, memory. A and most people believe what their brain tells them is truth. Over the last 10 years, we've learned a lot about the brain. And, you know, people who went to medical school 20 years ago were taught that the brain was not plastic, in that the brain that you were born with was the one that you just had, and new neurons weren't connected in your brain every day, which is not true. So there's exciting things, and that's one of the things that I've done in these trials, which is really quite exciting, is that we can do things to help not only those children, but all of us, because we all have brains, and we actually all need to make sure that we are taking taking care of our brains just like we need to take care of our heart because if we don't take care of our brain we will have those thoughts going crazy absolutely crazy making us do things that are not actually our true self and it's all because the neurological processes of our brain are a bit out of whack um, so cognitive skills are like the roots of a tree they need to be strong and nourished so if we don't have strong attention, self-regulation, processing speed, working memory, cognitive flexibility, and I'll talk about those in a moment, then no matter what we do in our life and our social skills, whether we want to do some literacy intervention, whether we want to have a really good job and we want to study, all those things we will find really, really hard, really, really hard. And, and I've seen a lot of people um, engage in um, especially working in the mental health area, um, who do cognitive behaviour therapy, they do mindfulness, they do all those things and they try so hard to do them so they can learn them but the problem is they can't apply them 
and they can't apply them. Yeah, they can't apply them because their cognitive flexibility, their working memory, all the roots of the tree are not strong. So we need to strengthen those parts of the brain first, then we can, then they can apply the, the mindfulness, etc. Because they'll be able to go um, strengthen those brain parts and, and apply the, no, I'm not going to do that. That metacognition kicks in. We need, we're social beings. We need to be connected to other people. Um, and then the other thing is gratitude. We need to practice mindfulness and biofeedback things as well as look at um, some programs that challenge us in different ways. So I can talk about those things um, a little bit later. So executive function is what a lot, lot of um, psychological reports, OT reports, uh, speech pathology reports, they all talk about executive function. Um, and executive function weaknesses have a really huge impact on our ability to function. And there's three main areas, is working memory, inhibition control and cognitive flexibility. So working memory is our brain's ability to be able to hold information in our brain, manipulate it and then um, produce an outcome. For example, if I said to you um, 7 plus 4 minus 3, you'd have to remember what a 7 is, you have to understand what a plus is, understand what 4 is, a minus, a 2, hold all that in your brain, manipulate it and come up with an answer. There's a lot going on with that. So if your working memory is a bit weak, then you might not be able to remember what I've said after four. You might go seven plus four and then go, did she say minus after that or did she say plus? So you have difficulty holding that in. Put that into a conversation and it makes it even more difficult. Add in there a person who has a second language and it becomes even more difficult to remember. Um, so working memory is very important. Inhibition control is the ability to say no to yourself and that is just huge if you can't say no to yourself it means that that part of your brain which is actually in your prefrontal cortex which is the front part of your brain basically it's it just doesn't remind you to say no it's like when that second cake is there that second piece of cake and you just had the first one can your brain kick in and go no 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 i don't need that or does you, you just automatically just go in and do it and then feel yucky afterwards because you've already done it? And that happens a lot with people with addiction. And um, that just basically not being able to say no to yourself is really important. Um, and cognitive flexibility is being able to see things from different perspectives and to be able to be compassionate, to be able to have empathy and sympathy. If you can't be able to see people from different perspectives, that, that has an influence on your social skills and be able to get along with others. So those three areas um, develop across the lifespan. So if you have a little look at the, um, the graph I've given you there, see if you find your age there and see if you can find out where it is on the chart there. So you can see from zero, it slowly goes up, 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 up. The biggest parts are in that zero to five years. So something happens to you in that zero to five years that affects your trajectory of your, of your executive function. So for example, if you get sick, if there's any trauma, if one of your parents die, if it a car accident, or whatever your brain considers to be trauma happens during that time, it changes the way your brain health is. It changes the function of your brain. So you can see very clearly that that executive functions 
develops up until around about 25. So between 25 and 30, if you've had a normal development, whatever normal means, if you have a normal development, then in that 25 to 30, go and have a good time because your executive function is in the prime time of your life. Because after 30, it starts going downwards. And you can see it slowly starts going down. And unfortunately, when you hit menopause, it, it doesn't really reflect it very well in that particular chart, but it goes down even further unless you're doing something about it. So if you are constantly challenging yourself, if you're engaging neuroplasticity programs, if you're keeping your brain healthy, then you can have a really good executive function right up until you're in your 80s and 90s. Yes, that's right. That's when that prefrontal cortex, this part of our brain here at the front just kicks in and it's evolutionary. So it starts from the back of the brain coming to the front. So that's the time when you don't want to be engaged in having too much alcohol. You, you want to take risk, but you want to take risk in a positive way. Challenge yourself to do things that you would not normally do. So take risks, but not risk to do with excessive coping strategies. For example, getting into the drugs and the alcohol will just change all that. But it is a prime time in your life to make sure you're engaged in really higher order learning. So you don't want to, you know, get get into the habit of, um, you know, you start a job when you're 20 and you're still like stuck there and you're 25 and you're not going anywhere. You want to challenge yourself. It's so important that we do that because of what's called cognitive reserve. And cognitive reserve is making sure we build the neurons and the connections and have them super duper strong early in our life. So to so that when we do hit the menopause or when we do start aging, when we, as I said, the, the downward starts at 30, that you've got that root system already really strong in your brain. It's the hormonal balance is affecting the neurotransmitters in your brain. And it's also about the gut, um, gut-brain barriers, um, the, the connections between the gut and the brain. Because when we tend to go through menopause, we actually unconsciously change our eating habits as well. So we might start eating more um, high sugary foods. Because we're feeling a little bit more confused, we're less likely to exercise. So our lifestyle is, um, you know, because when you start feeling yucky, your lifestyle starts going down a bit. Um, you, you see stress a lot more, so the cortisol level goes up. So there's a lot of chemicals going on. This is the optimum time that we need to step back as women and take control of this situation. and. And there's definite things that we can do to make sure that we're making every day we create new neurons in our hippocampus. We want to make sure every day that those neurons go and find another another neuron in our brain and connect to it. And the only way that happens is if we're actually doing some physical exercises and we're challenging ourselves. So it's really important that we keep those two things going during this very stressful time when we think we're losing our brains, but we're actually not. We're, it's just the chemicals are overriding it. So they're still there, but if we don't keep using it, we will lose them. I always sort of like say that we need to keep practicing this mindfulness 
um, and meditation and, and, and actually do some what's called biofeedback or neurofeedback. I think that's the biggest thing that's probably helped me in getting through menopause as well as exercise. I can't stress enough exercise, how important that is, that just going for that walk, um, preferably high intensity exercise, but if you can't manage that, at least a walk to get the, the blood flow going back to your brain. Um, so keep challenging yourself in regards to the biofeedback and, and mindfulness. Um, in the um, worksheet that, you know, the little exercise that I've given out, there's a link there to some biofeedback um, stuff to have a look at. And what that does is it gives you feedback about how you're going. So even though you feel like, oh, I'm losing my brain, I'm actually not learning anything here. Some of these devices can actually give you the feedback that you are. So for example, the Muse headset, when you're sitting there and meditating or doing some mindfulness, it measures your brain waves. And we know when your brain waves are at the lowest of the scale, that's when you're in true mindfulness. That's when you really calm those brain, your neurons down. It also calms your heart. There's this thing called heart rate variability. And there's some really good research showing at the moment that by um, visualizing certain thoughts and being at peace with that slows your heart rate down. Now, it's not just about the heart rate, but it's the beats between the heartbeats that are extremely important and correlate with the brain chemistry, which is so exciting research to come out. So if I sort of like clap my hands, there's a beat there, but there's a space there between the beats. So if you clap your hands and think about it, there's that little space between the beat. That's what heart rate variance is. And that correlates with your brain waves. So when you have your, your heart beating really, really fast, we tend to monitor that, you know, with your Fitbit or you go to the doctor and you take your pulse and everything. But um, we found that some of the research is coming out about stroke and about heart um, heart disease and everything that the beat be the space between the beat of the heart correlates with the brain in so many different ways it's very exciting stuff so but what it's really saying from this is that your thoughts come in by paying attention to come in and down regulate from your brain down to your heart but there's also this heart back to your brain because there's neurons actually around your heart. Did you know that? There's brain cells around your heart. Yeah, there's brain cells in your gut as well as in your heart. So it's just amazing. And it's and those three, if any of them are out of whack, they affect each other in so many different ways and particularly affect your cognitive skills. Yep, that's right. And so if I think about it from a brain perspective, what we've got is two neurons. Imagine you've got two neurons and in between there, there's a string. And so when you learn something, that string is really, really weak. But when, you, when it becomes a habit, it is a super duper thick rope. And so that forms a habit. The another analogy is think of it like the super duper highway. So you're driving along the super duper highway. It's just automatic. It just happens. And in between some of those um, on, on a highway, you have these off ramps. If you want to get out of a habit, you need to create a new off ramp 
neurologically speaking. So in other words, that you need to get off this rope and get this neuron talking to another neuron and you need to create a new off-ramp. And the only way you can create that new off-ramp neurologically is to actually pay attention. That metacognition coming in over and saying no to yourself and, um, and then coming in and going, right, I'm going to feel the uncomfortableness of actually making, getting off this super duper highway by the habit and turning off and making a new off-ramp. And it's going to feel yucky but I'm going to have to feel to heal so I can actually do that. A lot of medications that we take for mental health disorders numb the amygdala, which is the first, it it sedates the amygdala, which is the fear response part of our brain that kicks in and um, around that limbic system. So when we're medicated, it's so much harder because we're numb. And so when we reduce our medication, we actually have more anxiety because we start feeling all these aches and pains in our body that we've never felt before. And this also happens during menopause. And, you know, when we start feeling all these things, we have our hot flushes and we have all these uh, panics and our anxiety goes through the roof is because that middle part of our brain, it's just, it's overactive. The neurons are going nuts. They're extremely excited. So the medication calms them down it sedates them i've just um looked at some a couple of websites this morning there's this big movement in america at the moment to actually teach kids about their brains in schools and actually apply this neuroplasticity programs to all kids which is so exciting so not just the kids that need it the most even though the research that i've done is the kids who need it the most benefit most from from learning about their brain and understanding why their brain makes them do what they do And so there's this big movement over there in America and they've created some curriculum. So I'm happy to share that with um, anyone who wants to email me and say, what's this curriculum about and how we can put it into schools. And it's all free, which is really quite exciting. Um, So hence why I created Executive Brains, because I just felt that we just needed to, when kids understand, even when I understood why I did what I did or why I do what I do, then I, I could actually go there's a there's an understanding and there's a sense of empathy and compassion within yourself about that oh i'm doing this because of this because my brain thinks i'm unsafe my amygdala is going nuts my hippocampus can't remember something because the i'm going through menopause so my estrogen's going wacko at the moment and when you have an understanding of why you do what you do then you can come in and go right okay i can see it i can feel it increase my cognitive skills so that I can do something about it. So I had an adult, I worked with an adult last year and he's a manager of a very prominent business, um, very high up manager and he was um, drinking a lot. He was on sleeping tablets and he was on the verge of, well he was under performance review and he felt that he had been to lots of different types of therapies to try and help him manage the stress that he was feeling in his life at work as well as at home and he was struggling really really struggling so he just looked up brain stuff and found me and I said okay well let's go on this journey together so over a course of eight weeks I coached him on improving his cognitive skills the first thing I did was actually um, I got him to do a, a cognitive screener a brain health screener 
and it's an online test and we can talk about this at another webinar a webinar is um, to look at where his working memory is his processing speed so basically where where's my brain at right now and when we did this this with him we, he was actually horrified and i was actually a bit shocked how low his working memory was and how low his processing speed was now this is a man who's done two degrees at university and he's in his 40s he's not an uh, you know as someone who hasn't got intelligence it's just that the impact of stress was affecting his life and it's affecting his cognitive skills and therefore making his life so much more harder than what it should be. So we worked out a program, I designed a program for him that we worked on that for over a course of eight weeks and that meant that he had to exercise. Now I'm not a personal trainer so he hooked up with a gym and he knew someone was a personal trainer and he worked on that side. We talked about his nutrition and I'm not a nutritionist but I was able to say you know if you're not getting vitamin D it affects your cognitive skills it affects your memory there's just research out in the last two weeks about that that a low vitamin D um, test in your blood correlates with low working memory in our gut we have a second lining that's a massive amount of neurons in there and there's there's a vague the vagus nerve um, there's two pathways that go up to your brain and it comes there's another pathway down so that the vagus nerve is, is so important there's actually doing some really good research um, around the vagus nerve so if I very quickly tell you about that last client I'll tell you about this another client that I've got that I'm working with his vagus nerve on so going back to that manager over eight weeks he lost 10 kilos he um, he's off his went off his um, medication for sleeping. He was sleeping well, and um, he felt that he was better able to manage stress so much. His manager said, "What did you do? What did you do to do something?" And we did a post brain health screener and showed that his working memory and his brain speed were back up to where they should be for his age. I've got a client at the moment who's over two hundred kilos. He's morbidly obese and he's struggling with life. He's clinically depressed, um, anxiety. He's basically not leaving his house. Um, and he contacted me as well. So what I've been doing with him is there's a headset at the moment called the Mightiest Headset. And what that does, it stimulates your vagus nerve. And when it stimulates your vagus nerve, there's a, that correlation right down to your gut and it excites those neurons to the point where it doesn't make you feel hungry. So he's actually lost 10 kilos in this last month just by doing that alone. It's so exciting to us, all this wonderful stuff out about the brain, what we've learned and what we can do to help everyone. And the research is so strong in the mental health area, in the prevention of dementia, not when you get dementia, but in the prevention of dementia, because dementia starts 10 years before you started seeing any symptoms. That's why cognitive reserve is so important. So I have a website, executivebrains.com.au, and you can email me and find out some information about what I do, how I coach people through the process. I do workshops. I, I love talking to teachers. And um, I love talking to therapists as well about integrating this into their services to give um, the therapies a bigger bang and so kids can, uh, and all, everyone across the lifespan can um, improve their brain, which is really quite exciting. Um, we need to take a, um, a holistic view around that 
and um, so it's developing a, a, a program that's right for that person at that time. However, the workshops are things that I can talk to, um, you know, people about. Like I've even talked to employers and talked to employees um, about their brain in regards to safety. Like, you know, if you can't remember things, then it's a safety, it's a safety thing. I remember doing a workshop in a nursing home and um, how excited that people were feeling in there afterwards to to, to feel that they they could you know get up and do things you know stop sitting around here and wasting your life you can change your brain no matter how old you are i think then i'll probably talk more about the brain health screener about how we can screen our brains to find out um you know where we are like if we're in our 50s like i am um where am i am i at a, a predictor for dementia you know, what are some indicators there? And then also the Brain House Screener talking about some research that's coming out about children that we can predict if by a, by a working memory test in year th- at um, when they're three years old um, about their brain health, how their behaviour will be at school. So I'd like to share a bit more information about how these screeners um, around these cognitive skills can help us as parents and teachers and therapists to be able to Um, provide the right um, help that people need to be able to have a better quality of life. The brain's job is to keep us safe and to make decisions. So that's what its job is. And to do that effectively, we need to make sure that we we water the roots of the tree of our brain. And so the roots of the tree are our cognitive skills. So we need to make sure that we keep our brain nice and strong and healthy just as much as we do our heart so in regards to the gut is connected to the brain by the vagus nerve and there's an up and down there's two parts um, to that connecting to the gut so our thoughts affect our gut and our gut affects our thoughts and then in regards to the heart it's about the um the heart rate variance it's about the um not so much the beats of the heart, that's very important, but it's also about the beats in between the heart, the space in between the heart correlates with the brain waves in our brain. So we're all connected and we need to make sure we're connecting. Those three things need to be really nice and strong to be able to um, not feel so frustrated and deal with our stresses in life because we all have them. I think to understand who we are, we actually need to really stop and listen to our thoughts. And it's really, really hard to listen to our thoughts if we're not paying attention. And you can't pay attention if everything around you is noisy and if you have a very noisy brain. So um, so, so that all comes back to, come, for, for me, it's about keeping that brain nice and healthy. And when, we, when our brain's nice and healthy, then we'll be able to understand our thoughts and who we are a lot better and become compassionate to our thoughts. Because sometimes we get angry with our thoughts, but we actually need to be compassionate to our thoughts because our thoughts are telling us something. It may not be true, but it's something we need to listen to. So I've just given five top tips uh, about what you can do now to start working on your brain. One of them is being social. Two is about gratitude. And the third thing is that practice that heart coherence that I was talking about. Um, And number four is about um, the biofeedback Muse headset that I was talking about. And the last one is just about um, engaging in neuroplasticity programs. And if you're interested in that, you can email me and we can have a chat about that. 
be compassionate to your brain because it's doing its job and that is to keep you safe and not to believe everything it tells you.